0: A quick note before we begin, this episode of How Haunted was recorded prior to the sad passing of Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II. famed the world over as a protector of the crown jewels, its silent beef eaters with their bearskin hats and its legendary feathered guardians. This building, dating back almost a thousand years, may be one of London's most popular tourist attractions. But in its true heyday, it was a place of torture, execution, deception and murder, meaning that today, it's home to ghosts galore. Tonight, join me as we enter one of the most famous prisons on earth, the Tower of London. Welcome to episode 4 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian, and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location, and of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head to England's capital and ask the question, just how haunted is the Tower of London?
1: Listen discretion, discretion is advised,
0: is advised as each episode of How Haunted, Haunted will feature gruesome, gruesome tales, horrific happenings, horrific happenings, bloody murder and ghosts. So, so many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. The Tower of London, or Her Majesty's Royal Palace and Fortress of the Tower of London, to give it its full name, is a world famous castle slap bang in the centre of London. It is located on the north bank of the River Thames and lies within the London Borough of Tower Hamlets, next to the open space known as Tower Hill. The Tower of London is synonymous with the history of England, and its importance to holding control of the country is why it has been attacked so many times. It has served many purposes over the years such as an armory, a public records office, the home of the Royal Mint, even a zoo. Its best-known uses as the home of the priceless crown jewels, although that is followed closely in second place by its time as a prison. The main period of the Tower's use as a prison was the 16th and 17th centuries, when those imprisoned within these stone walls were some true celebrities of the day, such as Queen Elizabeth I, Guy Fawkes, and Sir Walter Raleigh. This castle has witnessed true horror, with torture and executions taking place within these walls. However, we'll look at that in far more grisly detail a little later on. During the First and Second World Wars, the tower was once again required to be used as a prison, as well as witnessing further executions. The tower was badly damaged during the Blitz in World War II, but was repaired and reopened to the public as a tourist attraction, and that remains its purpose today, with around 3 million people visiting every year. They marvel at the incredible architecture, the amazing exhibits including King Henry VIII's actual suit of armour, and of course, the crown jewels. But what the majority of tourists don't know is the darker side of the tower's past and the many, many restless spirits left in its wake. Let's go back in time almost a thousand years to the Tower of London's beginnings. William the Conqueror, sometimes known as William the Bastard, was crowned King William I in 1066 in Westminster Abbey following his successful invasion of England. He would reign until his death in 1087. William I consolidated his conquest by starting a castle building campaign in strategic areas, such as, for example, the Castle Garth of Newcastle that we looked at in episode two of How Wandered. The Norman invader lacked support among the people of London and feared the inhabitants could rebel and overthrow him So he ordered that the city's first fortifications be constructed. Work began on the Tower of London in 1078 when work on the White Tower, named for the imported white sandstone used in its construction, commenced. It was completed in 1100 during the rule of King William II and was the original Tower of London. It was built as a battlement, however when William II was assassinated later in 1100 And succeeded on the throne by his brother Henry I, the tower became a prison when Ranulf Flambard became its very first prisoner. Flambard was Bishop of Durham at the time of his arrest and was imprisoned for the charge of simony, the act of selling administrative positions within the church. It was almost a century and several monarchs later before the tower was expanded further, with the construction of the bell tower and the wardrobe tower commencing in 1190 in the reign of Richard I. The wardrobe tower was completed first in 1199 and was designed to safely hold the royal garments as well as the priceless crown jewels of England. The bell tower was completed in 1210. The purpose of this was that the bell at the top of the tower would be rung to warn of enemy attack or for major incidents such as a fire. In 1220, King Henry III ordered construction of the Wakefield and Lanthorn towers the latter being the Old English spelling of the present-day word lantern. As suggested by the name, the lantern would be positioned at the top of the Lanthorn Tower to act almost as a lighthouse and guide ships entering the River Thames. Work began in 1238 to expand the castle to the east, the north and the northwest. Construction lasted through the remainder of Henry III's reign and into that of Edward I. A new defensive perimeter was constructed, complete with additional towers. Whilst on the north, west and east, where there was no defence offered by the River Thames, a defensive ditch was dug. When Edward I was in power, the Tower of London underwent an expensive remodelling costing around £21,000, which was more than double that spent during the reign of Henry III. This construction took place between 1275 and 1285. This was much to the dismay of the people of London who saw the Tower of a sign of oppression and despised everything about the Tower of London. Edward filled in the moat, dug by Henry III, and built a new curtain wall along its line creating a new enclosure. A new moat was created in front of the new curtain wall. The western part of Henry III's curtain wall was rebuilt, with the Beauchamp tower replacing the castle's old gatehouse. A brand new entrance to the Tower of London was created, with elaborate defences including two gatehouses and a barbican. Although further additions and modifications have taken place over the centuries that have followed, the tower, going into the 14th century, is largely how it remains to this day. It's impossible to discuss the darker side of the Tower of London without talking about the torture that occurred right here in this royal building. Torture was mostly employed here in the 16th and 17th centuries and records actually suggest that relatively few inmates were tortured, specifically 48, however, Who knows what occurred without records being kept, as torture has never been officially permitted under English law. Those who did carry out this brutal practice in the tower acted under the direct orders and authority of the Privy Council and the monarch. In particular, this happened in the reigns of Queen Mary, Henry VIII, Edward VI, and Elizabeth I. This would be an order to receive information that would not be forthcoming without this additional motivation. During this period of religious upheaval, the need to obtain information was vital, so torture was never used as a punishment, and it was simply used to find out whatever they needed to know, be it co-conspirators, safe houses, or details of plots. There were three main torture methods employed at the tower, manacles, the scavenger's daughter, and their favorite, the rack. Prisoners were laid down on the rack, their hands and feet were bound and ropes attached to these. The limbs were pulled slowly, literally stretching the victim's body until their arms and legs dislocated and then when stretched further they were torn from the socket. The rack at the Tower of London was also known as the Duke of Exeter's daughter as it was claimed to be the invention of the Duke, a constable of the tower in the 15th century. Often just seeing the much feared rack was enough to get the prisoners to answer any questions put to them. The scavenger's daughter, also known as Skeffington's Irons, was devised by Sir Leonard Skeffington, who was Lieutenant of the Tower during the reign of Henry VIII. It worked on the opposite principle to the rack, as rather than stretching the body, it compressed the body. It was an A-frame metal rack, where the top point of the A was rounded for the neck, The cross of the A had two round areas for place on the wrists inside, and the bottom of the A were shackles for the feet. Unlike the rack which spread the body out, with the head, wrists and ankles secured, the victim would then be compressed inwards. From the sides, by pushing the knees into a sitting position, the head in the opposite direction, the prisoner would be compressed and limbs forced up into one another to the point where the compression would be so great blood would be forced out of any orifice such as the nose and the ears the scavengers daughter was likely rarely used as it's only briefly mentioned in the documents of the tower the third form of torture was manacles iron handcuffs that would be worn around the wrists they would then be suspended by these manacles high up feet unable to reach the floor after long periods of time the pain would be excruciating and if the prisoner was lucky enough to ever see the light of day again they would never have full use of their hands. The torture was conducted by the yeoman warders of the tower, better known as beef eaters, and would be overseen by the lieutenant of the tower. The commissioners would conduct any questioning and if they didn't receive any answers or they didn't like the answers they did get, the beef eaters would return to deal out further pain and torment. Only one woman was ever documented as being tortured at the Tower of London. A preacher and a supporter of Martin Luther, she was named Anne Askew. She was imprisoned for distributing Protestant books in 1546. She was placed upon the rack in attempt to coerce her into giving up the name of other Protestants. She was stretched a little at the time and her body was so damaged following prolonged periods of torture that she had to be carried to her trial where she was found guilty of being a Protestant and condemned to death. She was burned at the stake at Smithfield. Despite the unimaginable pain she suffered at the hands of the Tower's torturers, she never gave up any names, nor did she recant her faith. The most famous person to be tortured at the Tower of London is without doubt the gunpowder plotter Guy Fawkes. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. When Fawkes was captured, he gave his name as John Johnson, claiming to be a 36-year-old Catholic from Netherdale in Yorkshire. He said his father was Thomas Jackson and his mother was Edith Jackson. He had been found on the 5th of November 1605, guarding a large amount of gunpowder in the basement of the legislator, and we all know why. However, the plot was not yet known, so one of the lords questioned him as to why he had such a great quantity of gunpowder, and he brazenly answered, To blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains. Despite having given a false name, he openly admitted that his intention had been to blow up the House of Lords, and he expressed huge regret at his failure to do so. King James actually admired Mr Johnson for his steadfast manner and described him as having a Roman resolution. Despite this, King James ordered on the 6th of November that John Johnson should be tortured. This was to reveal the names of his co-conspirators. He ordered that the torture be light at first, referring to the use of manacles, but more severe authorizing the use of the rack if needed. Fawkes was transferred to the Tower of London. The room in which Fawkes was interrogated subsequently became known as the Guy Fawkes room. Lieutenant of the Tower, Sir William Ward, was responsible for overseeing the torture. He'd searched the prisoner and found a letter addressed to somebody called Guy Fawkes. To Ward's surprise, Johnson, upon being tortured, remained completely silent he revealed absolutely nothing about the plot or its authors. On the night of the 6th of November, he spoke with Ward, who reported, He told us that since he undertook this action, he did every day pray to God that he may perform that which might be for the advancement of the Catholic faith and save his own soul. According to Ward, Fawkes managed to rest through the night despite being warned that he would be interrogated until I had gotten the inward secrets of his thought and all his accomplices. Guy Fawkes' composure was broken at some point during the following day. During the second full day of torture on the 7th of November, Fawkes revealed his true identity and told his interrogators that there were five people involved in the plot to kill the king. During yet another day of agonising torture on the 8th, he finally began to reveal their names and told how they intended to place Princess Elizabeth on the throne. His third confession on the 9th of November implicated Francis Thresham Following the Rodolfi plot of 1571 prisoners were made to dictate their confessions before copying and signing them, if they still could. Although it is uncertain if he was subject to the horrors of the rack, Fawkes's signature, little more than a scroll, bears testament to the suffering he endured at the hands of the interrogators. You can see his signature before and after his torture on the Instagram at howhauntedpod. Even though Guy Fawkes had confessed his pain and suffering were far from over. Anyone committing treason had an inevitable fate. They would be hanged, drawn, and quartered. This was the most painful, slow death anyone could imagine. They would be hanged until the brink of death, at which point they would be cut down. Their stomachs would be sliced open, and they would watch as their intestines and other internal organs would be pulled from their body and burned before their eyes. Their genitals would be chopped off, And then finally they would be beheaded their corpse would be cut into four pieces and placed at various sites as a warning to others guy fawkes execution was scheduled for the 31st of january 1606 at the palace yard at westminster ironically opposite the building that he and his fellow plotters had planned to blow up this was a public event and was sure to be a grand family day out for the enormous crowd that gathered Fawkes was the last of the group to be executed, so had to watch on as his co-conspirators, each of which he had given up, went through the excruciating process of being hanged, drawn and then quartered. Fawkes could barely move, so it was the damage that the torture had left on his body, so he was helped up the ladder to the noose. What happened next has been debated for over 400 years, but one of two things occurred. Either... He mustered the strength to jump from the ladder when the noose was around his neck, or he purposefully climbed too high on the ladder so the rope was set incorrectly. Either way, the result was that his neck broke immediately, meaning that he avoided the drawn and quartered part of his planned death. It was by no means an ideal outcome for him, but it meant that his death was quick. So now we are on to the subject of execution let's look at the executions that took place at the Tower of London. Whereas torture isn't documented all that much in the history of the Tower, executions on the other hand have been fairly commonplace, with beheading being the most common form of ending the life of those sentenced to death. Executions were usually carried out on Tower Hill rather than in the Tower itself, and 112 people were executed on the Hill in a period of 400 years. Prior to the 20th century, there had been seven executions within the castle on the Tower Green. In 1535, statesman and writer Sir Thomas More was beheaded in the Tower after refusing to recognise King Henry VIII as the head of the Church of England. A year later, Henry VIII famously ordered the beheading of his second wife Anne Boleyn for treason. She had been sentenced to death by burning, but her sentence was reduced to just being beheaded. Rather than having a queen beheaded with the common axe, he brought in an expert swordsman from Saint-Omer in France. In 1542, Henry VIII had his fifth wife, Catherine Howard, executed as well. Her charge was adultery. she had only been 14 or 15 when she married the 49-year-old king. Her actual date of birth is lost to time, which means that she was only 19 or 20 when she was executed. Not an execution, but certainly noteworthy, King Edward VI was murdered at the Tower of London in 1471, during the War of the Roses Civil War. The Tower of London has been a tourist attraction in the city since the late 19th century, but while Simon Fraser was the last person executed by beheading at the prison in 1745 for his role in the Scottish Jacobite Rebellion, the facility retained its role in crime and punishment well into the 20th century. The last prisoners ever held at the castle were the infamous London gangsters the Cray Twins in 1952. 11 German spies were executed at the Tower of London during World War One and during the Second World War another German spy, Josef Jacobs, was the last person to be executed at the Tower. He was killed by firing squad in August 1941. Let's look at the Yeoman Warders who, since 1485, have been responsible for the security of the Tower of London although you may know them by the more common name the beefeaters. The name of the beefeaters is allegedly based on a comment from an Italian nobleman in the 17th century who remarked that members of the security corps were given large daily rations of beef. Back in Tudor times they were used to guard prisoners in the Tower of London as well as protecting the famous crown jewels. Nowadays the feeders are used as tour guides and have become an attraction in their own right because of their colourful uniforms, enormous furry hats and their unique traditions. Every night at precisely 9.53pm they take part in the ceremony of the keys where the Queen's keys are examined and put away safely. Just as intrinsically linked to the Tower of London are the Ravens, it is not known when the Ravens first came to the Tower of London. But their presence there is surrounded by myth and legend. Unusually for birds linked to ill omen, the future of both country and kingdom relies upon their continued residence, for according to legend at least six ravens must remain lest both tower and monarchy fall. The legend dates back to the 17th century when the first royal observatory was housed in the northeastern turret of the white tower. It's said that John Flamsteed, the astronomical observator, complained to King Charles II that the birds were interfering with his observations. The king therefore ordered their destruction, only to be told that if the ravens left the tower, the white tower would fall in a great disaster before the kingdom. Sensibly, the king changed his mind and decreed that at least six ravens should be kept at the tower at all time to prevent disaster. Today, The Raven Master is Chris Scaife, a Yeoman Warder responsible for caring for the Tower's Ravens. There are seven Ravens at the Tower today, six plus one spare. Their names are Jubilee, Harris, Grip, Rocky, Erin, Poppy and Merlina. Their lodgings are to be found next to the Wakefield Tower. Occasionally Ravens have been dismissed for bad behaviour. That's right, Ravens have actually been sacked. In 1986, a raven called George developed an unhealthy obsession with TV aerials and was given the boot. No verbal warning, just told his services were no longer required. It was written at the time. On Saturday the 13th of September 1986, Raven George, who was enlisted in 1975, was posted to the Welsh Mountain Zoo. Conduct unsatisfactory, service therefore no longer required. And of course... We can't talk about the Tower of London without talking about the crown jewels, which have been housed at the tower since the early days. Since 1994, the crown jewels have been on display in the jewel house in the Waterloo block. Some of the pieces are used regularly by the Queen, most recently during the 2022 Jubilee weekend celebrations. The display includes 23,578 gemstones, the 800-year-old coronation spoon, the St. Edward's crown, which is traditionally placed on a monarch's head at the moment of crowning, and the imperial state crown. Officially, the crown jewels are priceless, but if a price was to be put on the entire collection, it would be somewhere in the region of three billion pounds. When you consider the Tower of London, and the lives lost within these very walls, it's unsurprising that the Tower of London is known the world over for its dark, horrible history and of course the cast of famous ghosts that remain there to this day. Ah! There are a huge number of spooks and spectres that to haunt this ancient landmark. So let's take a look at some of the better known and not so well known ghosts said to remain in the Tower of London. Thomas Beckett Legend has it that the first reported sighting of a ghost in the Tower of London was back in the 13th century, during the time of Henry III. The Inner Curtain Wall was being constructed when the very angry ghost of St. Thomas Becket, the murdered Archbishop of Canterbury, suddenly appeared and struck the new wall with his cross, reducing it to a heap of rubble. King Henry III was very concerned by this apparition, as St. Thomas had been murdered by followers of his grandfather, King Henry II, in an effort to appease the ghost, he decided to build a chapel for St Thomas Becket within the walls of the Tower of London. And luckily, the Archbishop's angry ghost was never seen again. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn was the second wife of King Henry VIII. Henry was originally married to Catherine of Aragon. When Catherine couldn't produce an heir to the throne, Henry divorced her and married Anne. Henry and Anne had a daughter Elizabeth I, but their marriage also failed to produce a male heir. Desperate to have someone to continue his legacy, Henry began courting another woman and desperately needed to find a way to get rid of Anne. He accused Anne of high treason, adultery and plotting to kill the King. It is believed these accusations were absolutely false, but she was convicted by a jury of her peers. Anne was taken as a prisoner by barge along the River Thames to the Tower of London through the infamous Traitor's Gate. She was executed four days later on the 19th of May 1536 on Tower Green. She was forever immortalised as the first beheaded in the Divorced Beheaded Died, Divorced Beheaded Survived rhyme that everybody learns at school. She was laid to rest in the Chapel Royal of St Peter Advincula meaning St Peter in Chains, the parish church of the Tower of London. Several sightings of Anne Boleyn have been reported. She appears close to the site where she was executed and she's also been seen leading a procession down the aisle of a chapel. Several people have reported seeing her headless body walk in the tower's corridors. The first reported sighting of Anne Boleyn occurred in the 19th century when a soldier reported seeing a light burning in the closed chapel. After climbing the window to look within, the soldier is said to have seen a procession of knights and ladies led by a headless Anne Boleyn. The two princes, Richard, Duke of York, and Edward V. On the death of Edward IV on the 9th of April 1483, Edward's young son, 12-year-old Edward, became King Edward IV under the protection of his uncle, the Duke of Gloucester. Wanting to take the crown for his own, the Duke of Gloucester imprisoned Edward and his younger brother Richard, who was only 10, in the Tower of London. After declaring young Edward illegitimate, the Duke of Gloucester became King Richard III and Edward and Richard were never seen again. Believed to be murdered at the order of their uncle, the bones of two young boys were found buried under the stairs in 1674, and are assumed to be the remains of the boy princes. Visitors to the Tower often report seeing two young boys wandering around the White Tower, wearing old-fashioned nightshirts. They have also been playing happily on the battlements and heard laughing throughout the Tower complex. Henry the Sixth another royal who lost his life within the tower's walls. Henry VI was in prison during the War of the Roses and in 1471 he was stabbed to death as he prayed in the King's private chapel in the Wakefield Tower, apparently around midnight. It is said that his spirit still walks the tower where he was murdered, often appearing at the stroke of midnight. Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, Margaret Pole was imprisoned in the Tower of London in 1539, for the crime of being the mother of Cardinal Pole, who opposed Henry VIII's self-created position as Supreme Head of the Church of England. She remained there, locked up for two and a half years, and then Henry called for her to be executed. Before she was killed, she carved the following poem onto the walls of her cell. For traitors on the block should die. I am no traitor, no, not I. My faithfulness stands fast and so towards the block I shall not go nor make one step as you shall see Christ in thy mercy save thou me. Margaret Paul was 67 at the time of her death which took place on Tower Green just to the west of the white tower. Eyewitnesses say the executioner on the faithful day in 1541 was a wretched and blundering youth. Margaret refused to kneel and put her head on the block. The executioner swung his axe towards her head, but his aim was poor and the axe plunged deep into her shoulder. She ran around screaming in pain as the executioner chased after her. When he retrieved his axe, he hacked at her neck several times, finally completing the task of removing her head. Some visitors to the tower claim to have seen this grisly scene being recreated as a residual haunting. Others have heard her ghostly screams across the tower green. Lady Jane Grey Lady Jane Grey, the great-granddaughter of Henry VII, inherited the crown from her cousin Edward VI on the 9th of July 1553 when she was aged only 16. Edward VI had named Lady Jane as his heir in his will. She had been handed the crown in an attempt to prevent the Catholic Mary Tudor taking the throne. Her reign lasted just nine days. She arrived at the Tower of London to prepare for her coronation, but it would never happen. Instead she was locked up in the Tower of London, as was her husband Lord Guildford Dudley, and they were imprisoned separately. She was a prisoner of her cousin, who was crowned as Mary I. Mary was reluctant to punish Jane, as really she hadn't done anything wrong. However, with word of Protestants planning a coup to reinstate Jane on the throne, she called for her and her husband to be executed. On the 12th of February 1554, Jane was executed on Tower Green. The white phantom of Lady Jane's ghost is often seen as a solitary figure wandering amongst the battlements to this very day. Lord Guildford Dudley, the husband of Lady Jane Grey, was also executed at the Tower of London. Before he died, he carved his dear wife's name into the stone of the tower where he was held, separated from her, waiting to learn his fate. This ancient graffiti can be seen today. It is believed that his spirit can be heard weeping and calling out to his love in the Beauchamp Tower. The White Lady The Tower of London is protected by the Yeoman warders nicknamed the Beefeaters. In 1864 Captain J.D. Dundas observed a Yeoman attempting to charge a whitish female figure with his bayonet on the tower green. Another white lady has been seen at a window in the white tower. She has been seen to wave her children. Her cheap perfume fills the air upon your entrance to the St John's Chapel. Some visitors have felt a tap on the shoulder, and when they turn around they say there was nothing there but a wisp of white smoke. It's unknown who this white lady is, and we cannot actually be sure if these two white ladies are one and the same. The Grey Lady The Grey Lady is another mysterious spirit that we don't know the identity of. It is a shrouded grey figure spotted in various locations around the Tower of London. This spectre has only been reported by female visitors. The Crushing Force Visitors to the Tower of London as well as the guards have reported having a terrible crushing sensation upon entering the place where King Henry VIII's impressive suit of armour is exhibited. Some to the point where they have to get out of the building to get their breath back fearing they are on the point of losing consciousness. Guy Fawkes Unsurprising, considering the pain, suffering and anguish that Guy Fawkes experienced here. It is said that you can hear him screaming and crying from the room named for him. Sir Walter Raleigh Despite introducing potatoes and tobacco into England, Sir Walter Raleigh was imprisoned in the Tower of London no less than three times. He was sent to the Tower by both Elizabeth I and James I. Spending over 13 years in the Tower during one spell and attempting suicide. Sir Walter Raleigh's last imprisonment at the Tower of London was in the Beauchamp Tower, taking place in 1603 before he was executed for treason. His restless spirit is said to wander the White Tower to this very day, in the area named for him as Raleigh's Wall. Arbella Stewart One of the most commonly seen phantoms is that of Arbella Stewart, cousin to Elizabeth I. Arbella was imprisoned in the tower by James I for marrying William Seymour, nephew of Lady Jane Grey, without royal consent. Seeing this match as a possible threat to his throne, James placed Arbella under house arrest, while her husband was sent to the tower. Arbella plotted to get William released to travel together to France. However, William missed this meeting. Arbella set sail on her own, but she was apprehended and sent to the tower. Her husband ironically made it to freedom. Arbella was heartbroken to be parted from her husband, and either refused to eat or was purposefully starved, and she died in the Queen's house in 1615 at the age of 39. Arbella's ghost is said to stalk the Queen's house on Tower Green. The Monk's Footsteps Although the monk hasn't actually been seen, it's believed that the sound of sandals slapping against the stone floors have been heard belonging to that of a ghostly monk following visitors and members of staff around the tower. The thing with the face of a woman. In 1957 Welsh Guardsman Johns was on sentry duty in the Salt Tower when he encountered a shapeless form with the face of a young woman. This was perhaps one of the many women who suffered a terrible fate at the Tower of London. The nameless thing. Two sentries on patrol outside the White Tower in 1978 had a creepy experience. They both felt unusually uncomfortable before a sudden gust of air sent their capes nearly over their head and almost blew them out the archway. As one of them removed their cape, he caught a glimpse of a woman wearing a black dress who suddenly faded away. Another visitor to the tower saw the ghost of a woman in a black dress, wearing a white cap and a gold pendant standing next to a window before she too faded. The Decapitated Patient During the Second World War, A guard at the Tower of London saw a group in old-fashioned uniform approach. They were carrying a stretcher. As they got closer he could make out that on the stretcher was a body which had been decapitated. They continued to get closer but slowly faded away. The Grizzly Bear King Henry III housed his menagerie of wild animals at the Tower of London including a gift of either lions or leopards from the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II in 1235. Pumas, tigers, an elephant, even a polar bear came to the tower. These animals were housed in the Royal Menagerie. Although they're long gone, mysterious animal noises have been heard over the years, including the song of birds, cries of monkeys, neighing of horses, and growls of lions. Still, only one animal has actually been seen. In 1816, a yeoman warder on night duty saw a bear near the Martin Tower. The bear charged at him and he attempted to spear it. However, to his horror, the spear went right through the animal. This was too much for the guard, who promptly fainted and was carried to his quarters. Two days later, he died. There was a story in the sun newspaper in the uk in 2021 chief yeoman warder pete mcgowan 63 had lived at the tower of london for 12 years at that point in time and worked his way up through the ranks he and his wife make up one of the 40 families who live inside the iconic former prison as we've discussed throughout this podcast this building has an incredible amount of history, so it's not surprising that he and his fellow beef have encountered some of these ghostly experiences for themselves. One of these experiences took place on Tower Green, where a number of people were beheaded. He told the paper, it was about 2.30am and I was sleeping in an old metal bed. Suddenly the bottom of it was getting lifted and dropped, lifted and dropped, this happened for about 20 seconds. I lay there waiting to see what would happen next, I didn't want to open my eyes, I wanted to see how far this experience would go but then it suddenly stopped. For years he didn't talk much about what had happened, until he discovered that others had experienced exactly the same thing. He continued, since then I found out that two other people had had the exact same experience as me in the exact same room. I was relieved when I found out it means it wasn't in my head. Neither of the people who've been through it before even told me about it. The stories found their way to me, which makes it even spookier. He explained some of the other phenomena that beef eaters have claimed to see over the years. He said, people have seen things over the years, things like doors opening without warning, and drawers opening in the kitchen. People have even seen figures coming out of walls. I don't dismiss that there's something otherworldly out there, especially in the Tower of London. So much has happened here, and so many people have had experiences. Mr. McGowan went on to say that it isn't just people who feel ghostly spirits around the building. He said, lots of us have dogs here and there are quite a lot of rooms that dogs won't go into, including ones where we know people have died. That's definitely a sign that the rest of us shouldn't be going there as well. Surely there's something going on there. That's probably why most of us have dogs, to protect us. Thank you so much for joining me once again for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at@, at Howhauntedpod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod, where you will see photos galore relating to the Tower of London. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.howe-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at howe-haunted.com feedback location suggestions and your own experiences are always welcome feel free to ask me any questions you like and i'll answer them all on a dedicated q a podcast if you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes then you can join the patreon for less than the price of a pint you'll also get exclusive episodes where you can join me at an actual paranormal investigation and you'll hear the audio as it happened If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to support the podcast, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. I have a copy of my book Ghosts of Edinburgh up for grabs. If you'd like to enter all you need to do is leave how haunted a podcast review on itunes or whatever podcatcher you use then drop me an email at rob at how to let me know the competition will end on halloween 2022 and the winner will be announced on twitter and on the first podcast episode after the closing date next time out we will make our first trip overseas and we head to a location which was constructed in the first century and stands today as one of the most recognisable landmarks in the world, with around 4 million visitors each year. A grand amphitheatre built to entertain the masses with brutal displays of gladiators fighting to the death, animal hunting and public executions. We are headed to Rome, Italy and we will together step foot inside the Roman Colosseum, believed to be one of the most active sites in the world. Thank you so much for accompanying me on our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted?